This is Traverse Week. You're watching Honorado and Bagnardi live on Facebook and Twitter. The Midsummer Derby. It's the jewel of the Saratoga meet each and every summer. It's just two, three weeks early this year because nothing in 2020 makes sense. So let's run the thing on August 8th instead of late August. Bags, how are you, bud? I'm good. Yeah, you know, look, things are different, but... What's not different is the significance of the race, the importance of the race, the history of the race. And uh, no, it will be just as memorable a Travers as any other, if, if not more so because of all the other stuff going on. Um, but what happens out on that track when they get out of the gate, that's, that's forever. And it doesn't matter if there's one fan or 50,000 there, it's, it's the Travers. And we've got the uh, the owner of Tis the Law, which will be the favorite in the starting gate on Traverse Saturday. Jack Knowlton joining us here, uh, and and he'll pop in here in a second. Bags uh, for people who who may not know, I bet they remember Funny Side in two thousand three. Uh, I don't know if Jack gets tired of us always bringing up funny side and you go back 17 years and making the comparisons and all this stuff. But but the buzz is back around Saratoga the way it was with funny side in 03. And now tis the law uh, who will be the favorite on Saturday. And the draw for the, the Travers is Wednesday morning. We'll be there certainly for News Channel 13. Back. So let's bring in the owner, Jack Knowlton here from Sacatoga Stable, the owner of tis the law. Jack, good morning, man. How are you? Good morning. All is well. Beautiful morning in Saratoga, and everything was good over in the barn when I was there. There you go. And I know you're you're keeping tabs on on Tiz and how he's doing. Um, I was there Saturday morning. Uh, got a chance to speak with you then when when Tiz worked out at five thirty. What is it about this horse, Jack? That I guess may, maybe never ceases to amaze you. You said he rarely gives you any surprises. Well, that's true. I mean, Barkley says he's the easiest horse to train probably that he's ever had. And fortunately, he's got a lot of talent. And uh, he just, you know, as a rider says, he just does whatever I want him to do. It doesn't, uh, you know, matter if I want him to go fast or go fast. If I want him to go slow, he'll go slow. And uh, he's just a delight to train. And obviously for uh, me and all my partners, a delight to watch with uh, the three wins that he's had so far this year. Well, I'm always curious about horses and, you know, their their temperaments or their attitudes, right? Or somebody who, who owns pets, we know that, you know, animals, they all, they all have their own different personalities. And I wonder, it, what's, what's his personality? He is laid back. I mean, uh, the difference between him and Funny Side is like night and day. I mean, Funny Side was uh, always on the muscle. He always wanted to you know, run away. I mean, he was strong-headed. Uh, Tiz is just completely the opposite. You go around the barn and uh, you've probably seen videos where he's just sacked out. He's laying down, he's resting, he's sleeping. Uh, that's just the way he is. And fortunately, uh, you know, when he's on a racetrack, he's just very, very easy for the rider and Manny Franco, uh, our jockey, just has all the confidence in him because when he wants him to do something, he just does it and it all seems to work out very well. Jack, as, as so many people remember in 2003 with Funny Side, you won the Derby, you won the Preakness. What would it mean though, 
especially with a, a stable name like Sakatoga Stable, to win the Traverse? Well, it would be tremendous. I mean, the, the biggest disappointment I had with Funnyside, other than not winning the Triple Crown, was the fact that he got sick and we couldn't run in Saratoga. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the buzz was there. It was going to be the, the rubber match between uh, Funnyside and Empire Maker. Just heard, you know, today reminded me, I think there were 66,000 people in the days before they capped the attendance for the Travers. And, uh, you know, everybody was disappointed. They, they'd all made their plans. And uh, unfortunately, that week, three days before the races, uh, both Empire Maker and Funnyside had to say that they couldn't make it because they were sick. But that's part of part of racing. But, you know, here, uh, you know, we won the, the Belmont. We won the first leg of the Triple Crown this year, as it is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really subscribing to it, but there are people throwing around the, the terms quadruple crown. And uh, the only one that's got a chance to do that is uh, Tizzola. So if we can win the Travers, uh, then we go, uh, you know, into Louisville with momentum. He'll have won a race at a mile and a quarter if we do that. So it's, uh, it's a real important race. And it, it is my hometown and really, in, in a way, his hometown. He won his first race here last year. And it'll be exactly one year ago on Travers Day. Does Tisdall Law have any weaknesses or is there anything heading into the Travers or any, any particular race where you think, okay, there's, there's this one thing that we, we really, if, if this goes well, then we'll be okay. But if it doesn't, we could run into some issues. Well, the only race that he lost was uh, when he was at Churchill on a rainy, rainy day, then the track was sloppy and uh, he didn't break well from the gate and got stuck down inside and never got out. So, I mean, that uh, is really the, the biggest concern. Unfortunately, that day, Manny Franco just didn't get a chance to ever get him to, to do his run. Since then, uh, we know what he likes to do. He's won three races this year. They're all pretty much duplicates of uh, each other. He likes to sit outside the pace two, three lengths off and wait to, to go into the third, fourth turn. And Manny then set, set him down the top of the stretch and he just runs away from the field. So, you know, the biggest issue really is uh, making sure that he breaks well from the gate and Manny's able to get him in a position that he's comfortable. A lot, a lot of people will say that, uh, you know, because of that one race in Kentucky, they're concerned that he may not uh, be able to, you know, go between horses and things like that. The other morning uh, in his work, he had two horses that were close to the rail, and he just went right by them without a thought in the, in the work. So I don't think that's an issue. I think that, uh, you know, he just caught a bad day. I mean, the other thing, and, and this is, you know, nothing that uh, you can do anything about is, you know, what's competition going to be? I mean, I'm always leery when Bob Baffert sends a horse in from California. I remember Arrogate, and I'm saying, you know, I hope that Uncle Chuck isn't another Arrogate. Well, as your trainer, Barkley Tag, put it Saturday morning, Baffert could send an old mule and he might be the favorite out of the starting gate in the Travers. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case this year. But, Jack, when you're at the draw Wednesday, are you hoping for a particular spot or maybe, maybe to Sean's previous question, uh, a post position that, that you just don't want? Well, I'd, I would rather not have the one or two probably, but – you know, the, the configuration of a mile and a quarter at Saratoga and at Churchill, there's a long run into the first turn. So, you know, in a mile and eighth race, that first turn comes up very quickly. 
But I think, you know, if you look at the last couple races that Tiz has had, he jumps out of the starting gate. He's a couple lengths ahead of the field. And that gives Manny the opportunity to put him where he wants to put him. Manny learned, uh, you know, from the experience in Kentucky, you know, don't get stuck down inside. And the Holy Bull, it looked like he was going to get stuck down inside. And Manny just wrangled him outside, you know, had to slow him down, take him out, get him in the three path. And then he went on to win from there. And then Florida Derby and the Belmont, he got him right where he wanted to be, two, three wide, and just follow the pace. How important is, and I know it's important, but how important is the relationship between jockey and horse when you have a horse that just seems to be that good? In other words, could just about anybody hop on and still have a good run? Or is it really critical that you have this sort of established relationship and and really where they each kind of know each other? Well, I think it is important. I mean, probably more important for the jockey than for the horse, quite honestly, because Really, uh, Manny has all the confidence in the world in this horse now. I mean, he knows what he can do. He's kind of a push-button horse for Manny. Manny knows where he doesn't want to be. And I think Tiz is smart enough to, you know, just follow whatever lead that Manny gives him. And if you, you know, watch the, the races this year, I mean, he just goes on his own. And then when it's time for Manny to ask him, he'll go. And, uh, you know, I think, Certainly, uh, it's an advantage having a rider that knows him as well as Manny does. I mean, this will be the, the sixth race that, uh, that he's ridden him, and, uh, you know, five of those have, uh, have been wins. Jack, here's a question from one of our viewers and uh, a wise horse player here. Billy Blake wants to know, where do you rank this training job Barkley has done with Tis the Law to keep a horse like this on top of his game for this long, given the year it's been, is remarkable. I agree. I think that, uh, you know, we wanted to have, a, you know, a campaign where he wasn't going to be over a race going into the Triple Crown. So we only had two races that uh, were in mind in Florida, the Holy Bowl, and then a couple months later, the Florida Derby. Five weeks after that, first Saturday in May, I think, you know, Barkley had him at peak. And uh, no question, Florida Derby race uh, set him all up for, for the first Saturday in May. Unfortunately, uh, we all know what happened, and, uh, you know, now the, the Derby got moved. I think that, uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge was really after the Florida Derby, not knowing where the next race was going to be, when it was going to be, you know, what distance it was going to be. And uh, Barkley just did a phenomenal job having him ready for that. And then, you know, it's another, you know, seven weeks going into uh, to this race. Then life gets back to normal with four weeks and four weeks after that. But Barkley is tremendous. He's, you know, been doing this 50 years. I tell everybody, you know, he doesn't get a real good horse that often, but when he does, he knows what to do with it. So I always wonder this when, when we're watching different horse races or we're reporting on different results at the TV station, where do the names come from for a lot of these horses? How involved are you in naming the horses and specifically tis the law? Well, most of the time uh, I, I have learned from having so many partners that if I put it out there and uh, say, you know, give me names, then people get wedded to their names and uh, only one is going to be happy. So a lot of the time I take it upon myself to uh, make the, certainly to make the final decision. But this one, uh, you know, really wasn't uh, that difficult in, in a sense because 
we had a lot to, to work with. We, we had constitution, and that's where law comes from. And uh, the mayor was uh, Tiz Fizz, and that's where the Tiz came from. So came up with uh, Tiz the Law, and uh, kind of a catchy name. But we really try to uh, match the, something from the sire and the dam. And uh, fortunately, this was one of the easier ones to, to do. With a horse that we recently bought, a two-year-old in training, uh, it was uh, a little more challenging, uh, you know, to, to do. We had Tonalist as a sire and Holiday Apple as uh, as a dam. So uh, Rachel Dunn, who does all our social media work, said, well, why don't we have a contest? And uh, I think we got eight or 900 responses. People had suggestions. And uh, we ended up with a, with a name, Tapple Cider. So we got uh, the T from Tonalist in there and, uh, you know, the apple in there and then cider. So little bit of play on uh, the old funny side, but uh, it was uh, it was kind of fun, and uh, we're real happy with that name. And I saw that on Twitter that that you put out there as a as a kind of a contest, and and the winner would get some merch. Uh, quickly here, uh, you can purchase Tis the Law apparel. If you haven't looked already, go to tisthelaw.com. All proceeds are going to benefit the Backstretch Employee Service Team Best as well as the Racetrack Chaplaincy of America. So tisthelaw.com. Jack, on Saturday, I saw you rocking the, the Tis the Law mask, the Tis the Law hat. You can find both of those uh, right now at tisthelaw.com. I have a question, though, related to kind of a merchandise idea here. With Funny Side, there was a beer that came after. With Tis the Law, what about some kind of drink, Fizz the Law? Well, that's an idea. I know Rachel's been in contact with uh, somebody out in California that came up with a drink. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't remember the name of it, but uh, we're probably going to see if we can mix the ingredients here when we have our watch party that's going to be at the Embassy Suites in Saratoga on Saturday. Love it. That's pretty cool. So we had we had run a story that a gentleman had, um, he was putting Tis the Law signs up under like a stop sign for instance like stop tis the law and there was a little back and forth with the city and now they're trying to work out maybe a better place for those but I, the chamber of commerce had picked up on it and they were doing um different tis the law themed things like if there's a sign for coronavirus related stuff like wear a mask tis the law socially distanced tis the law uh, have you seen any of that and what's your reaction to that kind of stuff going on around all of saratoga county Oh, yeah. Well, a good friend of ours, Bob Giordano, is a gentleman that uh, put up the, the sign right on the, the corner where he lives. And, uh, you know, the city said, well, you can't uh, can't put a sign, you know, under our stop sign, you know, on the on the base. So Bob got creative and, uh, you know, put his own stake in the ground and put uh, the sign on that. And then they came back and a couple of days later and said, well, you can't do that either. So <laughs> he, uh, he had to, he had to give that up. But I was at uh, the OTB had a uh, broadcast from the Embassy Suites on uh, Saturday, and he brought me a, uh, a shirt that uh, has a big stop sign and then his little uh, tizzle underneath it. So he's, uh, he's out there merchandising uh, that, and uh, that'll go to charity as well. So that's kind of fun. But you're going to see uh, in all of the Stewart shops coming up uh, probably within the next day or two, uh, big signs, there are posters that uh, have uh, on there, picture of Tez, and it says, wear a mask, you know, it says, Tez the law, 
and he's got that, uh, you know, Tizalaw mask that you saw on Saturday on his nose. So we think uh, that's going to be pretty cool. I love it. And Jack, you'll be part of our coverage Friday night on News Channel 13, our uh, our annual Travers special at 7.30. Again, that's on Channel 13, previewing the Midsummer Derby, the 151st running of the Travers Stakes. Uh, Jack, how much are you enjoying this? To Sean's point here, everything that's going on in Saratoga, the buzz that there is around the city, I, I would imagine you're reminiscent of, of, of 03 and and what the, the swell was with Funny Side. How much are you embracing all of this excitement that's around the area? Well, it's a lot of fun, obviously. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, my son who's been in Sacatoga stable for every horse except the first two, he's uh, marooned out in California with, uh, you know, the problem of having to quarantine for 14 days if he came here. So I really miss him, but you know, and some of the other partners, uh, they're not going to be able to be here. And obviously, uh, you know, as things stand now, there'll be 12 of us that get to go to uh, the race, but they're probably going to be, you know, another 12 that are going to be at the embassy suites. So, you know, that, uh, you know, puts a little damper on it, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, everywhere I go around town, people are wishing me well, saying, you know, good luck. And they really enjoy, you know, the idea that there is local connection that, uh, there's a horse that at this point is a favorite for the Kentucky Derby and obviously uh, is going to be favorite for the Travers. Yeah, and with him being the favorite, you mentioned it earlier, the possibility of a quadruple crown. Obviously, we don't want to count our uh, chickens before they hatch here, but what would something like that mean to you? I mean, it seems like it's just the ultimate accomplishment. If it happens, what would it mean? Well, it would be something nobody else has ever done. I mean, uh, and my understanding is that uh, I guess World Away is the only triple crown winner that uh, won the Travers. And uh, to be able to, to do that would uh, certainly be something that would be unique. And, uh, you know, hopefully we could do it. But that's a long way off. Uh, you know, we've been very fortunate. We've got three grade one wins with this horse already. And, uh, if we're able to, you know, win the Travers, the most important race for three-year-olds in uh, at Saratoga, uh, we already won the Belmont Stakes, uh, you know, the most important three-year-old race at Belmont, and we won the Champagne, the most important two-year-old race at uh, at Belmont. So, you know, it, uh, it would almost make a, a career in uh, in New York if we can win that uh, that last piece, and we, uh, you know, now call him the the New York thoroughbred hero. I mean, and that is kind of from the race call of the Belmont. And, uh, you know, we put that on some of our merchandise because we really think that, uh, that that's the case. And I know that uh, folks at uh, the thoroughbred New York uh, thoroughbred breeders and New York thoroughbred development fund, uh, they agree. I see uh, ads everywhere that are coming out of there and, uh, and also on Naira. So he's getting a lot of airtime for sure. <laughs> All right, we've asked you about the temperament of a horse, the relationship between jockey and horse, but what about as an owner? How nervous do you get on race day before a big race? Well, you know, it's it, it depends. This one I'll probably be more nervous than, uh, you know, the others so far this year simply because it's uh, the hometown race and, uh, you know, it's the first race at a mile and a quarter, and it's a race that we'd love to uh, – have the momentum of winning a mile and a quarter race and going into the Derby. I mean, that would be 
something unique because, you know, typically when the Derby is the first Saturday in May, it's the first mile and a quarter race. And the other horses, you know, no horses typically have run a mile and a quarter. But for us, uh, if we can win this, right now he is clearly the top-ranked three-year-old in the country. We would love to stay on top and be in that position going into Churchill. I, you know, Saratoga is it's the graveyard of champions. The, the Travers is uh, typically a, a difficult race for horses who have had other success to come here and win. And I know that the size of the track plays into it. But what is it about Saratoga that you think is so difficult even for horses who have had great success other places? Well, that's a good question. Uh, just look at what happened Saturday. You had uh, the top two horses in the country uh, rated as uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic horses, Tom's Day Tot and Midnight Basu. Both of them got upset. Third horse is Tis a Law in the rankings. So I'm hoping and praying that uh, he's not going to go down like they did. Uh, I mean, it's pretty scary when you see that and you know, uh, you know, we saw Farrell get beat here. I mean, Secretariat lost here. I mean, there is a history, but, you know, I really uh, can't subscribe to that. If you look at the way this horse is trained up to this race, I mean, it is, in a sense, one of his home tracks because last year he trained here and he won. He broke his maiden here and he's been up here for three weeks. He's trained handled the track fabulously. And everybody, uh, you know, that I talked to really feels that Naira did a fabulous job in, in remaking the, the track, the new surface and uh, the new drainage. Certainly, uh, if you look at his three works, uh, track certainly isn't going to be an issue for him. So that won't be an excuse. I think, you know, one of two things could get him beat. You know, one of the horses in the race or more than one of the horses could run a race that's better than anything that they've run yet. And uh, secondly, things happen, you know, you miss the break, you get, you know, a bad trip, you get interfered with, or as Barkley says, it takes a thousand things to go right and only one thing to go wrong to lose a race. So we're hoping that one thing doesn't happen. And Jack, the, uh, the winner of your contest for Tapple Cider is watching. Ashley, uh, this is a really cool thing. Carmela says, keep an eye out for those metal traffic signs. They're going to be auctioned off for charity, those tis the law, those tis the law signs that uh, the city uh, took down. And bags, Shawnee, I didn't do my homework enough here. I did not know that, like me, Jack is an Ithaca College grad, so a U Albany guy too. And Kirk, who's a buddy of mine, has ties to both schools, Ithaca and UA. So go Bombers, Jack! Absolutely. <laughs> This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking some time with us uh, to really kick off Traverse Week here on, on Honorado and Bagnardi. Uh, I know we'll see you during the week at the draw and then certainly hope to see you just outside the winner's circle on Saturday. Sounds good. And we'll see you Friday night as well. You you got it. Exactly. For our, our Traverse special on News Channel 13. That is Jack Knowlton, uh, managing partner, Sacatoga stable owner of Tis the Law. Really cool. He, he's such a good guy in this sport. I always say he might be the like, most gregarious owner uh, in horse racing. He's always around town. Everybody in Saratoga knows who Jack Knowlton is. Uh, he's more than philanthropic, uh, always involved with organizations like Old Friends at Cabin Creek, just outside Saratoga, a place that you know gives really good retirement living to thoroughbreds and so jack's just such such a good guy and great to have him on here with us today shawnee yeah no doubt and you know he's 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 calm 
he's way more relaxed than I would be heading into Travers week. I mean, I know he said that he'll be, he could be a little bit nervous, you know, on, on race day, but man, it's, it's gotta be just so thrilling to be in the position that, that he's in, especially somebody who's been in it and around it as long as he has, right. like, you have to feel like there's just something special here. And while that's very exciting, you also feel like, my God, this is such a big opportunity. Like, I don't want this to be. So I'm, I'm like, I'm nervous for him. I want to see this horse do well. And that the, the notion of that quadruple crown, I know it's so far yeah. out. There's still so much work to do, but this horse can do it. You know, that's the thing. And again, those seem to be few and far between. So when we have that opportunity for there's a horse that can get it done, you really want to see it happen, especially with, with the local ties and yeah. then, you know, Jack being such a nice guy. Uh, coverage on Wednesday of the draw on News Channel 13, live at six o'clock. The Travers special, 730 uh, on News Channel 13 as well. Uh, Bags, what is what's going on with your Mets? I mean, just when you think, right, that that you've seen everything you could possibly see from the Mets, right? They hire a manager who doesn't even barely put on the uniform other than an introductory press conference, and then you've got to get rid of him. Now you have what could have been with Yoenis Cespedes. I mean, the way he helped carry them to the World Series in 2015 to all of a sudden ghosting the Mets. What the what? Well, first of all, that guy who helped them get to the World Series has been long gone. Okay. You think, well, it could be. No, he's, he's not that player anymore. And I think that is probably a big part of what we're now seeing. But you, the question on the screen here, did he quit on the Mets? Yeah. Of course he did. Of course he did. Look, anybody who has a problem going out and playing because of genuine concerns over the pandemic, of course, that you have to do what you think is going to be best for your safety, the health and safety of your family. We would never begrudge anybody. It's just that with this, of course, you don't buy it. You just don't buy it. Because first of all, if that was the case and you're not going to show up to the ballpark, you let the team know. Yeah, but Bex, here's the thing. Maybe it is the case, but you pick up the phone and you call somebody within the organization and you say, I don't feel safe. I, I can't play anymore. It's like if you or I just didn't show up to work, and we didn't call somebody at a management level to say, hey, not feeling well, not going to make it in today. Okay, it's equivalent here. And I always say, I, do, I hate when people compare professional athletes to the real world and, and like the one that you and I live in. But, but this is applicable. Right. If you and I just decided one day we're not going to show up for work and we don't call anybody, no, 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 no. So even if Cespedes' reason is legit that he doesn't feel safe and he's opting out because of coronavirus, fine. But you can send a text message. You can call somebody. And that's why yeah, but the that's, dating term ghosting applies here. Yeah, but, but, but that is the very reason why I don't think this is a legitimate concern of his. I think it's, it's more the same antics with him that we've seen in the past. I mean, he's is like Antonio Brown light. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like where you just reach a point where you know you just expect something to go wrong with him. And look, if he ever plays 
another game in a Mets uniform, shame on the Mets. I mean, this has to be it. There's no chance, right? He's, he's got to be done. He's a free agent. Yes, yes. But this, honestly, for the Mets at this point, this could be addition by subtraction. Um, because, again, I think that player who helped get them to the World Series is long gone. I mean, when he took an at-bat on opening day, it was his first at-bat in more than two years. And he homered on opening day, and they won, one to nothing. But honestly, since then, it, it's been a lot of swinging and missing for Cespedes. And I personally I, – I can't speak to the reason why he's just deciding to quit on the team. I don't think concerns over coronavirus are the reason because, again, if that was the case, I think he would have handled this differently. Um I think maybe he realizes he just doesn't have it the way he used to or the way he wants to. I think it's a 60-game season. I think he thinks he could maybe do more damage for getting himself a contract somewhere else by continuing to play this season the way things are going. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. All I can tell you is this, to me, screams like BS. It seems like more just cesspitous antics. And as a fan, I want him out. And I'm glad he's not going to finish the season because even if he could have provided something for us, I'd rather see somebody else get the opportunity now and, and just try to move forward as a franchise. Enough of this guy. All right. Is the clock ticking on the baseball season? No team hotter than the New York Yankees right now. I mean, they're just mashing the ball. Aaron Judge, six home runs in the last five games. Um, but is the clock ticking on this season? Will we actually see a conclusion to it. Multiple positive tests for coronavirus are expected today from the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Now, the Phillies had false positives, but you've got the Marlins, you've got the Cardinals here. Uh, there's concern in Milwaukee, right? One of the best outfielders in all baseball, Lorenzo Kane, has said, I'm good. Sure. Thanks. See you in 2021. Uh, what do you think? Manfred, is he's got a difficult decision here to make, even though he told Carl Ravitch from ESPN over the weekend, we are playing. Do you think we still get through this year? It's uh, not to give a non-answer here. I really feel like it's as close to 50-50 now as it's been since this started. I think if some of the things that we've seen play out since opening day had happened a week before opening day, we wouldn't have had opening day. I think now that we're in it, right. they are committed to trying to get through the end of it. At, but at some point, like you can only play so many doubleheaders. You can only – like it becomes a nightmare just logistically. And that's just from the baseball side of it. Of We're going to plow through. We're going to try to get it done. You also have the player side. Like the clock could be ticking because enough players and enough teams maybe collectively just say we're out. And then you wind up with another nightmare where baseball would just have to say, well, then there is no season. I hope it doesn't happen. It feels like if it's not a, a ticking clock, it's, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good right now, but I really hope we can find a way through it. The problem is they're not in a bubble, right? Like, we're going to get through the NHL. We're going to get through the NBA. I have I have faith now in seeing how those have started. As long as there are just no knuckleheads who decide to compromise that bubble, but I just don't think so. Especially as we get really into the playoffs in basketball, I think that's going to be a 
a different mindset there and things are going to be really locked down. But baseball, like you, you're traveling around, it, it was asking for trouble from the beginning. We're seeing some of that trouble, not even 10 games in. If we keep seeing more of that trouble, where are we going to be by 2025 games in? And yeah, if you're not halfway through and it's just too much of a nightmare to finish it, you're probably not going to finish it. All right, hold that NBA playoff thought for a moment, because as you talk about where we are with Major League Baseball and yet the success we're seeing with the NHL and NBA, but is the NFL paying attention? Exactly. I mean, look, look, it's it's too late now to try to get the ball rolling on their own bubble. If they weren't thinking about it before now, shame on them. But now that they're seeing what's happening with Major League Baseball, have they had a contingency plan in place to try to bubble guys? And I know the rosters are much larger in the NFL than they are in baseball, twice the size. I get all of that. Yeah. But have they thought about it? Are they thinking about it? Are they just going to be stubborn and hard-headed and say, nope, we're the NFL, we are going forward? The, the big difference for me, though, you're right, and 100% right. The big difference, though, is you only have to get through a 16-game schedule. And, and if, you, if, it, if that means a game has to be moved to a neutral site instead of being played at a home field, so what? because there aren't any fans anyway. And if it means a game has to be played on a Tuesday instead of a Sunday, so what? You, you know, those are those are easier logistical changes to make, even if a team has to have a short turnaround week or something like that, versus baseball now, where you have to – you will only have so many off days scheduled to begin with. You're going to be 60 games in 66 days. That's almost impossible, even if you have normal weather delays. But now you start looking at coronavirus postponements and doubleheaders. And I know now they're going to play, what, play seven innings in doubleheaders. Like, you're already compromising the game enough. Football, easier to work around the logistics because of the shortened schedule that you're, that you're starting with. But again, I'll get back to baseball. I just don't know how you do it. I don't love the DH in the National League. Me either. I'll, I'll live with it. I hate the international runner rule where every extra inning starts with a guy at second base. Me too. But the dumbest thing they may have done this year is decide seven inning doubleheader. What does it matter if you play nine or seven? You play nine in a normal regular season. Now you're you have a shortened number of games. You can't play a full nine innings in a doubleheader game. I don't love it either. I, I don't love it either. Again, because at some point it's just not major league baseball. Correct. Correct. Like, that's high school. Like that, you don't do the summer league championship now at the end of it all. Right. So, My God, Atlanta, please don't go out and win this thing. Uh, bags, NBA playoffs start two weeks from today, man. Nets are holding strong now in that eight spot after a win yesterday over the Wizards. Right. Uh, what have we learned so far from the bubble? Anything jump out at you? Yeah, a couple things have. Number one, the bubble itself seems to be working. Okay, yeah. that's first and foremost, like I just said, I think we're going to get through this. But from the basketball perspective, um, the right guys are taking it seriously. Um, the the break, the layoff, was not as impactful. I mean, look, there's been some not great basketball, but we were seeing yeah. some not great basketball five months ago. Um, you know, the, the, the games that we've seen in prime time, 
you know, especially on that that opening night, like they were close games. Teams were scoring at the rate we saw them scoring. I was starting to get a little worried when we were watching the, the scrimmages. And I know they were playing shortened uh, quarters or whatever, but I'm like, boy, two guys remember how to put the ball in the basket. Yeah, there's no problem with that. There's no problem with that. And I like, contrary to the hockey setup here, I like that we have these eight regular season games mm-hmm. because – it's different going from a scrimmage to a playoff to these meaningful regular season games to a playoff. And it, it felt weird seeing hockey jump right in to the playoffs a little bit. And I was like, boy, after all that layoff, now you're asking guys to go out there and play like win or go home games in these series. And, and in basketball, it was like, okay, it feels like we picked up where we left off. So it'll it'll almost be more natural and make sense as we get into the playoffs. It'll be like, okay, now it is time for the postseason. Yeah, the the one thing that has stood out to me is I don't know that the West is going to be as much of a slam dunk for one of the LA teams as I thought it would be. Right? Like I just figured whoever wins the West will be either the Lakers or the Clippers. I I don't know. I still would pick. I still would make the Clippers my favorite. Um, but I know you're going to laugh. Houston's an interesting case study here. The way they're playing small, defending a little bit better now, maybe. Okay. Uh, and, and in the East, if Milwaukee doesn't figure it out, I'll I'll be surprised. But, but I think at the beginning of the year, I, I did something stupid and I picked jazz Pacers, Indiana, is an interesting team in the East. Um, yeah. And no faith in Philadelphia. No faith. No, I'm with you there, but I'm having a little bit more faith in Toronto. And I know, look, you know, beating the Lakers in a regular season game, whatever. But I'm having a little bit more faith in what they still have there. Because the problem is when you look at them, all you think about is what they don't have. You think this was a championship team that lost its very best player. There's no way they can get back there. But when you look at what they do still have, and they do also still have that experience, they do still have that, you know, that they're they're the defending champions. They they know the guys on that team do know what it takes, and they do still have talent there. So I I'm not counting them out, I think, the way I was earlier. I think Boston is another team that you could throw into the mix. But, yeah, Milwaukee, for me, is still number one in the East and out West. I'm with you that it's interesting. I am still more, I think, on board with the top two, you know, the the L.A. teams. And it's really a shame. That'll be the biggest shame if if they – if they meet that it couldn't be in LA and couldn't be with fans, you know, if they do wind up playing each other in meaningful playoff games. Um, but Kevin look, Herter, it's about LeBron for me. Yeah. Kevin Herter said that, that exact same thing, you know, it, it's too bad that you could get Lakers Clippers and we're not going to see it in the Staples center. Right. Uh, and that city would just absolutely be on fire. Speaking of Kevin Herter, you want to go yeah. back a week and, and watch, uh, our interview with the Atlanta Hawks guard and Shenandoah grad, uh, Facebook.com, Honorado and Bagnardi. It's all right there for you, our uh, our half-hour conversation with Kevin Herter. Tomorrow, 
Got another show for you. Two o'clock Eastern, Jason Romano, longtime ESPN producer of Mike and Mike in the Morning. He's a radio producer. He left that job. God, I think he said like five years ago. Now go back and check that. Um, But he's now a very accomplished author. His second book is out. We'll have Jason Romano on the show with us tomorrow um, to talk about his new book that has just been released. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, The Uniform of Leadership and uh, Faith-Based Guy has created some really interesting conversations around the world of sports with athletes uh, who so many, right, are are rooted in faith. And so uh, we'll catch up with Jason Romano tomorrow. Not so much the new book, not so much really about faith bags as it is, you know, how, how are you a good leader? And as, you know, sports fans, we talk about that all the time, right? Like who's the captain of the team, who's the leader of the team, but even in the business world, you know, how, what are leadership qualities and and how do you convey some of that to your team? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Cespedes probably doesn't pass the test. And Jason's a huge Mets fan. So that'll be fun. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be fun. All right, Bags, good stuff today with Jack Knowlton. Uh, back at you tomorrow here on Honorado and Bagnardi, 2 o'clock uh, with author Jason Romano. Shawnee, have a good Monday, brother. You too, sir. All right, thanks for watching, everybody. We'll 